Mac Power Users, Episode 613, The Future of Work with Sean McCabe. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined today by your friend and mine, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Excited. Uh, we've got a guest on today who I uh, I really desperately want to share with the Mac Power Users audience. Welcome to the show, Sean McCabe. Hey, David. Glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, well, Sean has been on the... Uh, on the the focus podcast a few times sean is a very smart guy and has some great ideas about things like sabbaticals which we'll probably talk about later but the um but every time i talk to sean he dribbles out these little bits of like tech like he's using some online service i've never heard of or he's got some automation that's totally freaking amazing he's got robot switches in his house that's one of the things i want to talk to you about today sean <laughs> um but the, he's got all these great like technology stuff and uh steven did you ever see hamilton have you seen hamilton yet uh no i'm the last uh, person in north america who hasn't seen it uh, well th- there's a great scene in it where they're in a bar and he starts like like debating or, or rapping and everybody in the room just like stops and they're like, we got to get this guy in front of a stage, you know? <laughs> and I always felt like that's my feeling with Sean. Every time I hear him talk about tech, we got to get this guy in front of the Mac power use audience. So Sean was kind enough to come in and uh, we're going to be talking to him today about all sorts of cool stuff, his hardware, um, automation, all the cloud services he's using and, and some more cool stuff that we've got on the list. So we've got a lot to cover today, Sean. And, uh, and thanks for coming in again. Well, what what a nice intro! Thank you, David. Um, I, you're gonna have to hold me back because, like, you guys are my people. You know, the listeners of this show. Like, this is all the stuff that everyone in my life, you know, doesn't care about that I'm super passionate about. So, uh, I'm pumped. As I told you in the prep call, you are unleashed, Sean. You can get as nerdy as you want with us, and we will we will love you for it. I, I'm rubbing my hands together. All right. Um, uh, Before we get started, also today on More Power Users, Stephen has turned his uh, family into child labor for calendar delivery. That's right. um, Yeah. And I I think you're using some tech on that too. We're going to, in More Power Users today, we're going to get into Stephen's calendar saga. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing all the details on that. Um, But either way, uh, Sean, for folks who don't know you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name's uh, Sean McCabe. I run an agency uh, called Sean West Media, and our flagship service, Daily Content Machine, what we do is we turn long-form videos, so you can think like an hour-long video podcast, into short clips for social media. So we find all the best parts and title it and animate it and all of that and publish it so you can record once a week and then be everywhere every day. So that's kind of my my day job, if you will, is, is running that agency. And that's really like the way people do marketing these days, right? I mean, you get little snippets out there and so folks can hear it and then they can go find out more. And that's a lot of work to put that together. So you just have a team that does it for people. It's a ton of work. It's 1300 tasks per week. The team performs to create all this content, essentially turning that one weekly show into something like 150 video posts per month. And I used to do it all myself and I built this system so that my team could do it for me and found out a lot of other people wanted it as well. So now it's uh, now it's the main service we do. Now, for the listeners who are interested, I'd recommend heading over to dailycontentmachine.co uh, and checking out what Sean's got going on. 
uh, for folks who are like getting started in the show, where, where are the, just out of curiosity, what are the platforms people are supposed to be hitting these days with this type of advertising? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thought is like, you know, you've got a podcast, you want people to check out this podcast. And one way is to go on social media and link to it and, and promote it or ask your guests to share it. Uh, another way is, um, you know, in our case, we're working with video content. Um, if it's, if it's on video, you can grab a clip of that and post it on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, places like this, where you give someone a sense of what the show is about right there. So it's not behind a click. And then hopefully they're intrigued enough to check out the full version. Yeah. Well, as always, Sean is like ahead of the curve. I mean, if I memory serves, you started out with lettering, right? Wasn't that your first thing that you did online? Yeah. Hand lettering, drawing custom letters. You think of like the Coca-Cola logo. It's not a font or a typeface. It's custom drawn lettering. I would do that just for, for fun and drawing myself, you know, like just sharing it online. Back then I was running a web design agency. So this was my side gig. But after about two years of sharing that work every day, people were interested in hiring me for custom commissions or getting prints and t-shirts and things like that. So I did eventually uh, do lettering full time and then was also teaching the business side of lettering because I had knowledge about like pricing and contracts and and how to how to get paid quarterly licensing royalties, you know, for work you did in the past. So yeah, that was something I did for a number of years. Yeah. And you bet you really were early to the game of explaining to people how to make an online business that's sustainable. And you've proven it several times. If you go over to seanwest.com, that's kind of your, I don't want to say your original, because I know it's not your original site, but it's its kind of the main site where you started teaching people how to be you know, sustainable online business people. And then now you've got Daily Content Machine, which really serves the same purpose. Yeah, seanwest.com, that's kind of the main hub. A uh, bunch of educational resources, podcasts, videos, and, and articles and things like that. Yeah, and then in the midst of it all, you wrote a book. Yes, uh, overlapbook.com. So this is actually more relevant now, I think, than ever, which is helping people go from working a full-time job to making a living doing what they love to do, You know, whether that's uh, working with clients or selling your own products, physical, digital products, just the practical stuff, but also starting from a point of what is it that's keeping you stuck? You know, when you finish working at the day job, maybe you just feel like I just want to collapse on the couch and watch Netflix. Or maybe you feel like my, my family doesn't support me or my spouse doesn't believe in me. I realized after spending three years uh, and over 300 in-person conversations talking to people in this position, it wasn't so much the business stuff that was holding them back as these other things and then like burnout and stuff like that. So the book attempts to help someone get unstuck, and then kind of lays out the practical steps for how do you go from that full-time job to starting your own business? Yeah, well, I think that um, the entire internet owes you a debt of gratitude. You just really are blazing a trail and showing people the way to try and go out and make a, you know, a, a sustainable living on the internet. And I, uh, I really appreciate everything you've done. And that doesn't even mention sabbaticals, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, uh, before we do, though, let's uh, let's pull, prove your bona fides here to our Mac Powers audience. And <laughs> share, share with us all your gear, Sean. Oh, wow. Um, believe it or not, I used to run a, a PC repair company some 15 plus years ago, and it was the iPhone that got me into the Apple ecosystem because I, I got yeah, that first gateway iPhone. drug. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it, wow, this just it's so polished. It works so well. And 
kind of got into iMac and then iPad. And so, um, yeah, pretty much have all the Apple devices. My my main machine here is I'm um, still rocking the trash can Mac Pro, the, the 2013 model, but it's it's going strong and it's it's powering these four 27-inch displays that I've got arrayed here. Um, but yeah, I, I love that thing. It's it's a workhorse. Um, I, I tried, um, I, I took a sabbatical year and I was going to travel the world. Unfortunately, that happened to be 2020 and the pandemic <laughs> oh, put no. a damper on that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I attempted to use an iPad as my main machine. I had the iPad, uh, iPad Pro 2018 model, 11 inch. And it's a great, it's a great device. And especially with the, the magic keyboard, but I don't know. I think I'm too much of a power user. I missed, I missed my keyboard maestro and my Alfred and my, you know, all, all of the Mac OS stuff. I, I couldn't, I, I could write emails. I could record, I could edit a little video, but I just, I just missed the Mac too much. Yeah. We were just talking before we started recording how I'm remapping some, some Apple scripts to the hyper key for Apple mail. And it's just like, the problem with the iPad is that stuff just is not possible. I mean, you can't remap keys. You've got to just go with whatever they chose, which is no fun. But you said something there that I can't let get by. You've got four monitors. Sean, I want the story here. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I started with one and, you know, that wasn't enough. So I had two, but you don't want just two and three would look awkward. So uh, ended up with four displays. Actually, it was from it was from live doing live streamed uh, uh, teaching sessions where I'm sharing my screen. This was back before Apple's keynote allowed you to do windowed presentation. You know, so like it, I, I needed more space for notes and chat and the streaming software and my slides and and so I just kind of started building out the, the different displays and. I love being able to just glance and immediately see the information I need without having to switch spaces. I definitely understand the desire for focus and and unitasking, you know, not getting distracted. I know it's not for everyone, but I feel uh, I feel incapacitated if I have less than four monitors at this point. <laughs> I think you're the only person we've had on the show anytime recently that still has a 2013 Mac Pro. A lot of those machines had problems with like the GPUs and stuff, but you say yeah. yours is is holding strong. It it did. It, it definitely uh, I definitely felt the thermal corner that it was backed into. But I I don't know. <laughs> I balanced everything just to the point where it's like okay, nobody touched the Jenga tower, but it just consistently works at this point. And I, I've been holding out for uh, a, a desktop Mac with Apple's processor, so I think that's the next one I'm going to jump to. Yeah, on the um, well, first of all, good good on you for keeping the trash can Mac running, and um, uh, but on the monitors, I just want to just kind of dwell on that for a second. Like, so before you know the end days, I had an iMac with two 4K monitors on either side in uh, in vertical mode, and it was working great. But then when everything happened, my kids actually needed monitors to connect to their screens when they were doing Zoom school. They all came home. So I gave them those monitors, and I have not rehooked them up as the kids have stopped needing them. Um, but I get it. Like I just read a really good book called "The Extended Mind" by Annie Paul, and uh, it's just talking about the way humans work and the studies that show, like when you put a big whiteboard wall in a room, people actually having the visual 
nature of everything up on the screen or on the wall actually helps people think about and solve problems faster. And they did one experiment where they had like an entire wall monitor, which had the same effect. So definitely more pixels, I think, can help you work on problems. But I'm just so used to now my single monitor setup. It's really, I find it really hard. Um, But I I have been doing, like for me, mind maps are the things I want to have on an additional screen. And I have been putting them on my iPad next to my Mac. But yeah, I I can understand why you would want to have all those screens. But probably feels to people like, what would I do with another pair of arms? And yeah. and it's like you, I promise you'll find things to do with them. Uh, yeah. it, it's like I just the the computer for me is an extension of my brain. It's an outboard brain. I, I I'm sure there's people out there that they know what they're going to get done today, and they keep it all in their head. I just don't want to. I don't want to use my brain to remember things. I want to use my brain to think about things and process things. And so I don't try and remember anything. I I put it all in the computer, in things, you know, and and, and that's. That's where my ideas go. And it's kind of like with my displays, it's like, I just want a place for everything. There's the, there's the call recording. There's the, you know, the, the podcast recording. There's my to-do list. There's my notes. There's your notes. There's keyboard maestro. It's just, everything's here. Everything's available. Yeah. Well, I, I get it. And, um, if we can talk you into sending us a picture of that, I'd love to put that in the newsletter this week so folks can see exactly how that's set. I guess you've got just a bunch of um, Visa mounts with all these monitors. Yeah, I've, I've been through a few. Um, I, I'd, I'd have to get you a link, um, but I found one that's really heavy duty because I had one that was not so heavy duty and it crashed on me. Uh, and <laughs> oh, that's no good. good. So yeah, that's an it's actual a, crash. It's not like oof. a... Oh, my computer's frozen. No, that's right. Yeah, one of these, uh, it's like you can see the cracks from from it falling. But yeah, it's a quad mount. The the other thing you do is you also, in addition to all that, you have um, a mount for your Zoom setup with the, um, I forget what you call it, the uh, teleprompter, right? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So in addition to these four displays, I have... Uh, uh, a teleprompter with its own little VGA screen that I can connect to the Mac with a, an adapter for Thunderbolt. But it's a little screen, a little LCD screen that when I'm on a Zoom call, I can drag that Zoom window with the other person's face onto this, well, fifth display now that's a teleprompter screen. And for those who don't know, the teleprompter screen is kind of parallel um, with the ground. You know, it's facing upward. The screen is pointing upward. But above that screen is a piece of glass called beam splitter glass at a 45 degree angle that reflects the screen, which is mirrored. So when it reflects to you, it looks correct, reflects the screen to your eyes. And when you're looking at the screen, you're looking through this beam splitter glass into the camera lens that's sitting right behind it. So the the end result, the, the effect you're getting is when you're looking into the eyes of the person you're speaking to on this Zoom meeting, you're also looking into the lens of your camera. If you've got like a fancy camera, like a DSLR camera connected to your computer, when you're looking at them, it looks like you're actually looking at them instead of looking off screen. Which is such a big deal when you're doing Zoom calls and uh, and you do client work. So you want to be looking at your client. You don't want your head turned, you know, 30 degrees to the right when you're looking at a screen with the camera off to your left. Yeah, and, and you know, we talked about this in our, in our prep, preparation call. But for those who don't have this, and maybe you're using the built-in webcam on your iMac, for instance, what you can do to make this a little bit better experience for the person you're talking to is make your Zoom window smaller 
as small as you can manage, really, and then move it to the top middle of your display to the closest the closest to the webcam that you can, and it'll look more like you're looking at them. Yeah. And another way to do it, if you're using an external camera and you've got an iPad, is just turn on Sidecar and stick your zoom window in Sidecar and put it ideally right above the lens, but if not, right below can work too. There And there are various like things you can hang an iPad on that would would work for that but honestly the uh i think the teleprompter wins i mean what a great idea so you've got this uh this big mac and all these displays does the ipad fit in anywhere honestly it's kind of taken a back seat for me since you know no longer on the road traveling um i haven't used it so much it's more when i want to maybe write or journal and sit in my beanbag you know just have a device there with an actual keyboard but to be honest, I just don't find myself using it as much. Maybe as kind of like a, a Netflix in bed kind of a device, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, and then, Sean, you also um, are a fan of the Apple Mouse. Big fan. I love the Apple Mouse because of its its touch ability combined with better touch tool. Which, for those who don't use, man, you got to check this thing out. Better touch tool is awesome. You can you can unlock so much more power of the magic mouse than you're probably using. You've got your typical swipe left and right, two fingers swipe left and right to switch spaces, but you can do so much more with this. Imagine, you know, just lightly tapping the surface of the magic mouse with one finger, with two fingers, with three fingers, with four. What about three finger swipe left, swipe up, four finger swipe down? What about single finger touching the Apple logo? on the magic mouse. What about combining that with modifier keys like shift two finger swipe right or command shift three finger swipe down? It's virtually limitless. You can have yeah. so many different combinations to the point where my goal is to minimize switching between the keyboard and the mouse. That's where you lose a lot of time and a lot of efficiency is when you're switching because your hands are on the keyboard and you go to the mouse to do a thing or your hands are on the mouse, you go to the keyboard to do a thing. As much as possible, I try to be able to accomplish just about everything I need to do from either device. I just got an email from a listener who um, recently subscribed to the setup service, and uh, one of their apps is Better Touch Tool. And he said, "Yeah, I, you guys have been you know banging on about setup or a Better Touch Tool for years, and now I realize what I've been missing because it's not just the Magic Mouse; it's also the Magic Trackpad, or if you've got." You know, I mean, there's so many different ways you can customize that that device. What are a couple of your favorites that you use that might inspire people to try this on their own? Yeah, the quickest, easiest ones to set up that are my favorites are for your browser. Um, so you can set these to be custom per app, by the way. So you can have them do different things in Safari versus Photoshop or whatever. So it's not like you have to have a new gesture for every single thing you do. You could have the same gesture, but it behaves differently depending on the app and focus. But for instance, in your browser, what I like is two finger swipe down to close the current tab. So just map it to command W, but then two finger swipe up to reopen the most recently closed tab, which is command shift T. Um, so it's it's so fluid when you just swipe two fingers down, the the tab goes away, swipe two fingers up, it comes right back. And then single finger swipes left and right. I like to switch between the tabs. So like yeah. control tab, you know, that's pretty easy. 
And then there's a gesture within Better Touch Tool for the Magic Mouse and I guess Magic Trackpad as well, which is, um, they call it the tip tap. So it's where you hold one finger, is one finger's resting on the Magic Mouse and the other taps. So maybe your middle finger is resting on the mouse and you tap with your index finger or vice versa. And then there's two finger tip tap and three finger tip tap. What I like to do is I'll do a two finger tip tap left to go back in my history or a two finger tip tap right to go forward in my history. So I feel like I can just fly through the browser just with one hand on the mouse. Yeah, those are all great tips. Uh, another one I just recently discovered with Better Touch Tool, I think this is a recent addition, is they have the ability to move a window to a different space. Like we've always had the ability to change spaces, but moving a window to a space has always required that crazy thing where you, you know, you you grab the window, you drag it up to the top of the screen and then put it on the window you want. Now um, I have mapped it with right and left arrow keys combined with control and command and whatever window and I can just move it to the right or left. And that's done in better touch tool as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. And, and window management, um, is also included, you know, kind of like keyboard maestro and others, uh, within better, better touch tool to where you can put windows on the left half, the right half, of course, but also thirds and different custom positioning. And so I, I, I like to have keyboard shortcuts to do window management as well as uh, gestures for the magic mouse or trackpad. Uh, and so, you know, various tip tap type things uh, can put the window on the left half, the right half or thirds. Um, that's, that's another handy one. Now with your four monitors, do you have like fixed positions for different like, Ooh, work? The, this is maybe one of my favorites. Uh, so right. what I've got is if you look at the numpad on your keyboard, um, you can, you can map, these keys differently than the numbers on the main area of your keyboard, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, but what I do is I, if you look at like seven, eight, nine, and then the dash, so there's like four keys. And then below that, you've got four, five, six, and the plus. Well, I've got these four displays. And for the most part, I like to put windows on the left or the right half of each display. So I've got these eight keys here in, in boxes mapped essentially to top left display left half and right half, right gotcha. top display, left half and right half. So using a control modifier, I just hold control and I tap on any one of these keys in the, in the eight boxes on my numpad and it pops the window to the respective display on the respective half of that display instantly. Nice. Nice. And you're using keyboard maestro for that? You know, um, I, I might've done better touch tool for it. And okay. sometimes I switch back and forth. Yeah. I didn't know that you could address different monitors with better touch tool, but it, it doesn't surprise me that you can. You can. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Well, you think, Steven, you're going to go get some more Pro XDRs and no. just do the oh, whole boy. thing? No. Uh, I only have one kidney left after the first one, and I've been told you need at least one. So uh, not, not a multiple display person, but uh, this sounds like, uh, Sean, it sounds like you're just like in the, bullseye for a stream deck for some of this stuff you got one of those floating around yeah you know i i, I thought about it for some reason oh boy I, I don't have trouble remembering my ridiculous number of combinations i think because i've built it up over the years mm. um but I, I i love that idea especially for someone getting started where you don't have to remember command control option shift f something you know you just see the icon and it, you hit it and it's easy this episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends at 1Password. 1Password is the tool that I use 
to keep my accounts safe and secure. It gives me peace of mind, protecting my family and my business from hacks and breaches by making it easy to use strong passwords and find security problems with the websites that I'm already using. One password will alert me if I have an account that's compromised. It can help identify weak or duplicate passwords and websites where I can turn on two-factor authentication, or maybe I haven't done it yet. You can learn more by going to onepassword.com slash MPU. I definitely recommend the family's plan. That means you can share your logins, your secure notes, everything with your significant others. Just go check out One Password today. Head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. So, Sean, in addition to your Mac hardware, you also do a lot of recording and, and video presentation, and I know you've set up for that as well. What's your gear? Yeah, so for video, I like the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. They've, they've got newer models, but this one is just the best bang for the buck. It's on a very short list of Netflix's approved cameras. So if that speaks to the quality for you, uh, it's really, really good, but also ridiculously affordable for what it is. And just pop a, you know, pretty inaffordable, uh, or what am I trying to say? Pretty affordable lens on it and you're good to go. Uh, so that's my camera. And then for audio, I've got the trusty SM7B uh, Sure microphone going into um, the DBX286S uh, preamp, which does all of the like compression and, and de-esser and noise gate on the fly, which is great for, you know, I mean, if you're recording a podcast, you can get a lot of those effects in, in software in post. But if you're on a lot of calls or you do live streaming and you just want it to sound good, uh, I, I just, I can't seem to beat the, the hardware preamp and effects there. So that just gives uh, your SM7B that nice full sound because the SM7B is a really gain hungry mic. You need something to drive it and a lot of interfaces just don't give it the power it needs. So uh, just gives it a really full sound. And then I've got a, a foot mute switch, which I find comes in handy a lot. And I don't even have to look, I can just hit the mute switch. Uh, this allows you to configure it in latching or uh, push to mute or push to talk. Uh, the one that I like is power mute. I've spent hundreds of dollars on these foot switches uh, trying to find ones that work. And, you know, most of them, when you press it, it'll introduce a pop or a click into the, the line. And you don't want that at all. This is the only one that I found that's completely silent. It is powered. So you have it plugged into the wall. But uh, yeah, it's just called power mute. And a lot of them are leaky too. Um, they don't entirely mute you and that's not good. So Sean, what are you connecting all this to? What's, what's your desk? So I've got the uplift desk and um, it's the it's the commercial frame. They've got kind of a basic one and a commercial frame. And I figured I'll take the one with the crossbar for more support since I've got these four displays on it. And uh, you can get different tops and stuff. Um, I got this one, they call it pheasant wood. It's got a really nice, really nice uh, feel to it. It's the live edge on the front. It's just it's almost like a soft, like satin feel. It just feels really nice. I love it so much. Um, and I've got the little memory memory thing on it. So you can press a number and it remembers the height that you go to. But um, kind of getting a little bit into the automation side of things, I've got a couple of switch bots 
attached to the desk over on that little memory pad that uh, the SwitchBots have this little arm that can press a physical button. So people m- might often use it for like a coffee maker that you can't just uh, you know configure to run or whatever. You have to hit the button. Uh, these little bots will actually press physical buttons. And so I've got two of them on this pad so it can press the sitting uh, memory button or press <laughs> the standing memory button. And then uh, with a little bit of, I think it, it, it integrates with shortcuts, although I've got Homebridge as well. I don't want to get you know, too in the weeds yet, but basically I can just tell Siri, whether it's you know phone, watch, HomePod or whatever, uh, standing up or sitting down and my desk will respond accordingly. I love that. Um, and why not? We're in automation now. So the, the robot switches, I always looked at these things and was worried they wouldn't be like sturdy enough to like push a button on it. Like on my desk and sir, it, I've got the, um, I don't even remember the brand. I've had it for a long time, but my sit stand desk, um, you've got to put a fair amount of pressure on yeah. those buttons to make them work. How is that with the uplift desk? And is this, I guess this thing is up to the task. I mean, it, it's got 3M adhesive on the back, which if you've used with anything, you know, is, is really strong. And I've had no trouble. Same thing for me, these memory buttons on the standing desk. They, you do have to mash them pretty good. But if you position the switch bot just right and you get that he- adhesive on there, I've had no trouble with it. The other thing I use these switch bots for, I've got a couple other ones, is if you have in your house those rocker switches and maybe you haven't installed smart switches or you know your house doesn't you know doesn't support it or something like that or you just don't want to spend the money um one of the cool things is these switch bots the little arm that comes out it has a slot in it that pairs with a little 3m adhesive that it comes with that has a little plastic loop so you put the plastic loop adhesive on your rocker switch and you slip that loop into the slot on the switch bot arm and what that allows you to do is not only press the 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 switch on but then when it comes when the arm comes back it pulls the switch up and effectively turns it off so you can have this on off physical control of your rocker switch if you've got maybe like a ceiling fan that you want to be a part of your good night scene that's what i do i also think switch bots are a really great uh solution for people who like live in an apartment and they're not you know allowed to pull the sockets out of the wall or the switches out of the wall mm. uh, with a switch bot. You can automate a lot of things that doesn't require you to rewire. And they, if they're attached with 3M, I would assume they would come off fairly easily when it's time to leave. That's a great point. Yeah. If you're renting could be a good solution. That's not too permanent. And I do, I haven't worked with switch bots, but I understand they are home kit um, friendly. Um, you can, plug it in and i know we're going to talk about some solutions that are not home kit but the um but if you just want to use home kit i think you can can make it go and you know the example of this is always like the coffee maker in fact look at their website now like the very first animation they have is using a switch spot to turn on a coffee maker but um i feel like the mac power users nation is way better than that i feel like there's people out there doing crazy stuff with these switch bots and I'll give, I'll give you another one, like to, right. to make this work. Um, and, and real quick, let me just say, as of this recording, uh, SwitchBot works with Siri shortcuts, which is not exactly the same as native home kit. Um, so I, I, I do have like some home bridge stuff for it, but, um, you know, it, do, it does work with shortcuts. There's, so it's kind of a little bit of a quirk there, but to get these switch bots working, you need uh, a switch bot hub. And 
here's the cool thing about this hub. It's it's very small. It's it's like the size of maybe two AirPods Pro cases. This SwitchBot hub has an infrared uh, port on it to where you can control, well, anything with infrared, like maybe your TV. So you might, you could even set up this hub like on your coffee table or something aiming at your TV and you can program it to do whatever. Um, in my case, my teleprompter screen, much to my chagrin, is uh, it, it has an infrared port and a, and a remote to turn it on. You can't just cut the power and give it power and it turns on. And I didn't want to have to press the power button on the remote. So I've got my SwitchBot hub right next to my teleprompter screen. And I can just tell Siri to turn on my teleprompter and it'll send the infrared signal to turn on the screen. So it's an IR blaster too. That's nice. Look at their website. They got all sorts of wacky stuff. Uh, I think Rosemary's played with the, uh, the curtain openers and closers. Oh yeah. She's all in. Rose has the, the weighted curtain opener. We talk about that on automators and she gets it to open and close her curtains. And that's kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, this is, you know, I feel like I just have to get a couple switch bots and just start to set, you know, find a use for them. I feel like this is something that I need in my life. What do you think, Steven? I think so. Yeah. I think you can have it pushing all sorts of things. I wonder if I could make it play my saxophone for me. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it, it'd have to be very slow, you know? Yeah. You just three of them to all the, the uh, they call the it keys. keys. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. That would, that be, would just be awesome. Yeah. Replace would, uh, switch bots. And then I'd still have to blow into it. So that really well, wouldn't you know, solve any problems. You get some sort of home kit accessible fan and you're there all you set. Go. We've got this worked out. <laughs> okay. uh, Sean, you've mentioned Homebridge a couple of times. We've talked about it on the show a little bit, but it's this uh, open source software that you can run. I run mine on a Mac mini that's on my network and it's got a bunch of community plugins. And the idea is that you can tie into HomeKit with things that don't support HomeKit out of the box. So I've got a couple of Ring cameras and there is a HomeBridge plug-in for Ring and now I can see my Ring stuff in the in the Home app. So it sounds like you're using it with SwitchBot, but I have a feeling that you're doing a lot more with it than just that. Yeah, I am doing a few other things, not too much with it. I mean, the most common use would be to be able to get devices, smart devices that aren't natively compatible with HomeKit to work within HomeKit. But also something I think people haven't really thought of too much is you can run Apple Script with HomeBridge. So there's, you know, add-ons you can get to do a bunch of things. And one of them is run Apple Script. And what I do is I use the Apple Script to call keyboard maestro macros. So I actually have switches. These are just virtual switches I've created with HomeKit or with HomeBridge rather that allow me to, for instance, turn my desktop displays off and on. So I'm using uh, Apple script within HomeBridge to call a keyboard maestro macro that runs an action that will wake or sleep the displays accordingly. And, And here's where this is like the most satisfying thing in the world for me. So I've got a Philips Hue motion sensor at the entry to my office that when triggered turns on this virtual switch called desktop displays and that's just you know the apple script calling the macro that when i walk in not only do my lights turn on and all of that and my desk goes into the right mode sitting or standing um, but also my displays turn on and then with unlock with apple watch I'm walking over to my displays and I'm within range. And so it also unlocks the computer. So by the time I walk to my desk, the displays are on 
it unlocks and it's ready to go. Yeah. And inversely, you could create an automation that when you leave the room for a certain amount of time, it puts them all to sleep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You got to get a stream deck, I think, because that's the same thing. You can trigger Apple scripts or keyboard maestro shortcuts with a stream deck. But I'd have to press a button. Why why wouldn't I just want to walk into the room? While you're sitting at your computer. (laughs) I just feel like someone who's gone down the rabbit hole as far as you have, you'll find a use for it. Just like me and my switch bots. I just see that happening. That's true. Yeah. Some other things you could do with Apple Script is um, I I set up one just to basically play pause my Apple Music app. Uh, So if I'm, I've got a beanbag in the office, you know, if I'm sitting on the beanbag, um, I can just tell Siri or, you know, pull up the control center on my phone or whatever to, you know, pause the music on my Mac. Um, And that's just, it's actually a a switch in Homebridge. Maybe that's kind of crazy, but. Yeah, we've had Sal on the show before. Apple Script is just so powerful. Now that I've got my main Mac as a laptop, um, occasionally I want to unhook it. And there's all these apps out there to eject drives before you unhook or, you know, going into the Finder. But, I mean, it's like a four-line Apple Script to have it just do it automatically. And then I just added that to a keyboard maestro command to shut some windows down. And it's -hmm. like there's just so much more you can do with Apple Script that people, I think, don't realize is out there. And none of it is very difficult. I know shortcuts is pretty new on the Mac. I mean, as a recording, Monterey's been out like a, a week or two. But uh, do shortcuts fit into all the stuff for you? You know, I'm not using it on Mac yet. I haven't updated to be able to use it. I, I do love it on my iPhone. Um, I, I, yeah, I use the heck out of it on my iPhone. I don't know how, how far down the rabbit hole we want to go there. Oh, maybe some examples of, of what you're doing there and maybe where it ties in with some of this this other stuff. Okay, so here's a nerdy one. Um, I've got a couple of shortcuts called make it cooler or like warm up, things like that. And and so, you know, if I, if I don't like the current temperature and I want to make it one degree cooler than what it currently is, it grabs the current temperature uh, converts it, you know, and then sets the the thermostat accordingly. So that's kind of a, a, a fun one. Um, another one I use is I, I think David's got something similar, you know, with with um, what do you what do you call that? Where it it provides a menu of options, so you create like an icon on your home screen. Choose, yeah, choose from menu. Choose yeah. from menu. Yeah, I've got yeah. that for things. So instead of the actual things app. I have an identical looking icon on my home screen that when I tap it, it gives me a choose from menu and I can jump to, you know, my top used lists. Uh, So I kind of like that for jumping straight in. Yeah. Another thing you can do with that with things is you could make it. So if you're commonly making tasks for a specific project or tag list, you could have it fill all that in for you. And then you just type the name of the task and all the rest is done for you. And then add that to a choose to menu, choose from menu list. Yeah, that's a, lot you that's a good one. Once you go down that rabbit hole, yeah. If you end up writing blog posts and video outlines and things like that uh, on your your iOS devices anyway, I realize Shortcuts is, is on Mac now, but um, I, I use a text case converter. So, you know, oftentimes you want title case for your titles. Instead of typing that yourself, just type it all lowercase and run it through a, 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 a title case converter. Yeah. What do you, how do you do that on, on mobile? Uh, I've just got one that's it, it's just called text case, and um, yeah, you you can find them. Yeah, using the apps uh, shortcuts plugin. Then 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's good. Text text case is cool too because on the Mac it has uh, services, so you can like have a bunch of text just in a regular Mac app. Right click, and you can tell text case which transformations you want. So like I always need AP title case, and I can never remember all the rules. And it's uh, it's just like a right click away. I think text case is maybe one of the one of the best examples of a service like this that you can totally do just within shortcuts. Like it, it it has everything and it, and it donates it as shortcuts, but it's also really good on the Mac and kind of, you can use it the way you want to, depending on your context. Yeah. And we covered that one in particular at length in the services episode we did, I don't know, it was about six months ago. And um, that text case really is generous in its donations with all that stuff. Like it, you don't have to just do AP. You can do Blue Book or Chicago Manual Style or whatever you know your thing is. Nice. I've got one one more shortcut here, which is right. uh, for for yes. my bathroom. I've got one of the Philips Hue light strips and a motion sure. sensor, and I put that light strip underneath the cabinets. And now you know with with the uh, the home app, the the automations in there, you can run shortcuts. And so I've got a shortcut that's triggered when it detects motion. And the reason I have a shortcut is just to have a, a nice little bit of, you know, if logic to where um, if it's if it's during the day, certain hours, it'll light up full brightness white. But after the time when I'm normally in bed, it'll it'll light up the lowest like kind of orange hue just to help you see to be able to maybe go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, but not disturb your partner. And it, it the way it uh, uh, works is like, It'll it'll turn the light on and then it runs through a loop like it'll wait, you know, a certain number of seconds and and it'll check like if there's no motion, then turn it off. And so the end result is the light will come on for maybe about 10 seconds while it detects motion. And then once it's no longer detecting motion, it'll shut off. Yeah, nice. So you don't have to run a separate shortcut to turn it off. You're just doing it within the same loop. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And then you've been talking about um, Keyboard Maestro quite a bit, Better Touch Tool. Um, are you using any any other uh, Mac tools for automation? Uh, Keyboard Maestro is my go-to. I am such a fan. I kind of highlighted a few. I went through my list to see what, what are some fun ones I could give people some ideas for. Um, one I like to use is uh, one I made that grabs a markdown link of your current tab in the browser. Uh, I just find that super handy for all kinds of things. It just gets the title of the page and the link and then puts it in markdown format. And yeah. I've got a few other uh, shortcuts or, or macros rather that that handle that markdown link on my clipboard when, for instance, I'm in Google Docs because I often use Google Docs a lot, which as we know, does not support markdown. So sometimes you need to paste a markdown formatted link that's on your clipboard into Google Docs as a, a natively formatted link. So I've got a, a macro for that, which is which is pretty cool. Another one is, um, like I said, with my 27-inch displays, I'm mostly putting my windows on the left half or the right half. So right now I've got a browser up. It's on the left half. I've got some notes on the right half. And oftentimes I'm, I'm browsing. I've got multiple windows of browsers. I want to be able to compare websites and move information uh, but I've got a tab in my current browser window that I want to separate out from this browser window. Maybe it's currently full screen. Maybe it's you know in the middle of the screen. Who knows? I have a shortcut that takes the current browser tab 
it puts it in its own window and it puts it on the right half of the screen. So it, it basically just sets the current window to the left half, opens a new browser window and puts that tab there and puts it on the right half. And that's just mapped to a keyboard shortcut. So I use that one a lot. Um, and then here's a, here's a tip I think most people probably don't know. And, and if you use Google Docs a lot, uh, you can try this out. So Google Docs has a, a shortcut that's option forward slash or, you know, the, the question mark key, just option forward slash. That's going to bring up, if you try that, uh, a search the menus option. And you can type absolutely anything that you want to do that you can do within Google Docs in this box and hit enter and it'll do it. For instance, turning text highlight yellow, you can just type H-I and it'll autocomplete too. So you don't even have to type the full thing, you know, like highlight uh, yellow and start typing Y-E and it auto fills and you hit enter and it's just going to do that. Anything you want to do, whether it's like bolding or bullets or, 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 or anything, you know, inserting a bookmark option forward slash, you just start typing that and then you can do it. And what you can do with Keyboard Maestro is, is create some cool combinations. So for Google Docs, um, I've got a macro that'll see like, does the current tab have Google Docs in the title? If so, we know that we're in Google Docs. And so you can have some, some nice, simple keyboard shortcuts, not like crazy modifiers, right? And so I've got all kinds of shortcuts that will highlight text yellow. It'll highlight it green, red, purple, blue, Anything that you do normally uh, that that you have to go digging in the sub menus to find, you can you can map to keyboard shortcuts using this option forward slash. So the logic would be these are short they're keyboard master scripts that only work in Safari, and then it runs the if um, question as to whether or not you're in a Google Docs page, and it goes from there. Exactly. So then you don't have to have yeah. something crazy that uh, a keyboard shortcut that doesn't exist anywhere else. You could have. Control Y for yellow or Control G for green, you know, and and map map it like that. Yeah, it is really nice. I mean, just the the there's a two features you mentioned, Keyboard Maestro. I'd like to put an exclamation point on. And the first one is app specific uh, scripts. So in Keyboard Maestro, and I cover both of these things in the Keyboard Maestro field guide. So there's my my plug. But the um, you can you can go into any app and say everything in this grouping of scripts only. A, works if I'm if this is the active app. Mm-hmm. So like in my Apple Mail or my OmniFocus or a lot of the apps I do productivity work in, I've written an entire series of scripts just for those apps. And because they only apply in those apps, you can have very simple keyboard commands to trigger them. Like control is a great one. Control plus something or hyperkey plus something is a great way to run those. And I think people don't realize that you can make these very specific, very complex scripts that run very easily when I'm just in that app. The second one you talked about was the clipboard and keyboard maestro has the ability to perform actions on stuff in your clipboard. So like where historically you would have to paste it and then apply a title case or paste it and then make it all uppercase. You actually just copy it into your clipboard and keyboard maestro does the work invisibly in the clipboard, which to me is kind of like a jujitsu automator trick that like all the automation actually happens invisibly in Mm -hmm. the clipboard. That just makes me so happy every time I run one of those scripts. That's so great. Uh, Steven, have you used, uh, have you used this option forward slash in, in any of the Google apps for like, I mean, when I use is like Google sheets, you know, oftentimes you want to insert a row 
and you have to go right click, you know, in the context menu, you know, all, right. all this stuff. And you could just type insert row and then map that to like option up or something. Yeah, I really like it. It, it is very reminiscent to me of what Mac OS does in its help menu where you can search and it pulls up, you know, where the menu is. And then you can either learn or if you're like me and you're in Photoshop and you can never remember where something is, you just search <laughs> for it every time. Uh, so, yeah, it's that's a that's a huge tip for people like like me who live in Google Docs and Sheets all day. Uh, it is a, a really, really fast way to get around. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by my favorite email add-on, SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and get a $25 credit on any plan. SaneBox is an online service that can connect to just about any email service. You can use it with Google or iCloud or IMAP or, you know, name your service. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. With SaneBox, you can work with any sort of email program or service, so you don't have to have a special app. It's like bringing a super set of features to any email platform. It's great at email filtering. They have the same later folder where it keeps your inbox for just what really matters and puts everything else in the later folder. They also have the same black hole where you can unsubscribe with one click. Just move it in there and you never hear from that person again. They also have the snooze feature, which is great for deferring events until the next business day or the weekend. One of my favorite defer folders is Saturday, and I put personal stuff in there that can wait until Saturday. And then on Saturday, when I'm doing my personal business, all those emails just show up. Uh, they also have Sane Reminders, which in my mind is the killer feature of SaneBox. You can carbon copy or blind copy any email to a certain period of time, like one week at SaneBox.com. And if the person you wrote to does not write back on that thread within one week, SaneBox reminds you. It is just a great feature for me to keep track of emails I've sent that I haven't got replies on. But SaneBox is more than just filtering, however. You can also move your attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services. And the pricing plans start as low as $4 a month. They've got a 14-day free trial, and MPU listeners love SaneBox. We've got, like, the highest conversion rate because we get it. You know, uh, Mac Power users, listeners want to be more efficient, and SaneBox really delivers the goods on that. And we made a special deal with them. You get a $25 credit on any plan. We want to make sure you get the best deal possible when you use our link. So go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and stop drowning in email do that 14-day free trial. I guarantee you're going to love it. Uh, once again, that's SaneBox.com slash MPU. And thank you, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So, Sean, we've talked a lot about uh, your setup, your Mac Pro, your displays, the software you're using to automate things. Uh, but I want to turn a little bit more to cloud services. Uh, you work with a team, which I want to hear about. But what are some of the tools that make collaborating with others or even just moving work from desktop to the sort of online realm what are some things in your toolbox there yeah so we have a completely remote uh team so we we've never actually had an office um there's about 20 of us working together and we use slack I actually used to pay for slack and i found that i didn't really use the paid features enough uh, so we actually get by on the free version of Slack. Uh, but it's it's really hard when you when you run a service that 
you know, each week the team is performing 1300 tasks. Um, you, you can't really run that in Slack, especially if you want things to run automatically and people not to forget things. So we do have a, uh, project management system. Um, we used to use Asana, but, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, but we actually switched to a more bespoke, uh, software called process kit, which is really custom made for productized service agencies. So productized services being something that you basically provide the same exact thing with maybe a couple variables again and again. So, you know, whereas you might have a project template that every time you want to do a new version of it, you have to duplicate the template or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has the ability to just auto-generate a new project from a template based on certain client attributes, which is just perfect for us because we can set up what's called a client in there and set certain attributes like they have this package, they have this package, they don't want these titles, they do want this. You've got all these attributes and, you know, maybe radio buttons or information, and you can dynamically create different projects uh, based on those attributes. But the thing that really sold me was uh, the, the Zapier integration to where upon completion of certain key milestone tasks, you can trigger a webhook. Uh, that will, you know, do a bunch of things, but for us, it does things in Zapier. So, uh, like it can move it on the Kanban list, or it can mention the next person in line in the project in that particular client's Slack channel. Um, and so it just kind of keeps things moving along. So that's kind of the, the core of our, of our agency is this process kit service combined with, uh, Zapier and Slack. Is this something that you're using with your clients? Are they logging in and doing things or is it totally internal to y'all? No. So, I mean, you could. They do have some features where, you know, clients can fill out forms and whatnot. But part of the unique value of our service is that it is completely hands-free. So our goal is our clients just have to show up and record and then step away from their desk and everything happens. Uh, So they don't actually log in in our case. Okay. Yeah, this this looks really cool, and I think using Zapier as sort of the the first domino to fall, if you will, is super smart. We we do something real similar at Relay, where our business does run on Slack. That works really well for us, and we have Zapier keeping an eye on all of these different services we use, and then reporting back to us in Slack of, "Hey, this invoice got paid. This sales thing did this or that," and it's it's nice because I don't have to go out and and look for that stuff all the time. Like I'd imagine with y'all, it when you know step six happens and you need to trigger step seven. Well, if that's someone's job to do every day, then you've actually added more than just those two steps to it. And so automating that sort of thing is is definitely key for the way we work. Yeah, something that that really was super helpful for me that maybe will give some people ideas if they use Zapier for stuff is. So the scenario is we've got a client and, you know, it. we have teams of three or four people on each client and some, some people work on the same teams or the same clients, but, you know, it could always be different. And so ideally you want a single zap that when a certain milestone task is completed, that zap is triggered. And then let's say it mentions someone, it needs to mention the rider on that account in that client's Slack channel. Well, you could have a zap for every single client and hard code it to mention the writer on that account. But what happens when you have a new client? Well, then you have to make a new zap. And what happens when the writer changes? Well, you need to go edit right. it. Uh, and that's something we used to do. And then I learned a smarter way to do it, which is 
Now, you can use a database, like maybe Airtable, or in our case, we get away with using Google Sheets as kind of a basic database where we've just got a table of clients and then roles, like here's the writer, here's the reviewer, you know, and that has um, the person's Slack ID. And so the Zap will actually do a lookup. It'll say like, okay, what's the client name on this? It pulls that from the project management system and it does a lookup in the table and it finds the writer. And so anytime there's a change in personnel, we just update that database and change the writer's name and the, the, the Slack ID. And then that automation, the Zap, is going to mention the right person in Slack. So there's just that single Zap for that milestone and it's dynamically filled out with the right client and uh, person information. Yeah, that's really clever. I mean, so much of business management these days is accomplished with online tools. But I think for a lot of people, there's just so many, it's hard to kind of get your head around where to start. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly just learning to learning what's possible. And then the way I recommend thinking is if you do it more than once, automate it. And I think most people wait until they do something six times or 12 times. And, and I say, look, if you do it more than once, there's just a really good chance that you're going to do it more than twice. And so if you automate things you you do multiple times, uh, I mean, you just have to think about it. Like, like anything that you do repetitively, I understand sometimes it's a little bit different this time or a little bit different that time, but you want to learn to think in terms of variables. If you're making a, a, an invoice or you're making a contract or you're making a new project and it's something you're doing again and again and again, it's something that you, you ideally want to automate and it's almost certainly possible increasingly possible because it seems like every week there's another web service that ties these together and um and using zapier is a great kind of underpinning for this i guess steven you've already said this though so i'll stop <laughs> yeah no it, it really you you can use it to bring all sorts of like tools that don't have native integration with each other or even things that aren't tools right like one of the most common things i use zapier for is anytime uh, an item gets added to a certain RSS feed, add an item to my task list to link to it. So every Sunday when MPU goes up, Zapier says, oh, there's a new episode. And Todoist gives me a task for, hey, link to that new MPU episode. You know, RSS isn't an app. It's just a, a thing. And Zapier can just sit there and monitor it in the background. Yeah. Another one is like if you've got, um, let's say you do client calls, consultations, and every time you make a new Google Doc and you say same things, you ask the same questions and you take the same notes. Well, hopefully you've got a template. And so at least when you go to manually make that new Google Doc, you can make it from a template and then fill out the information and the variables. Uh, but you can automate that entirely because when the, the prospect books the call, let's say it's through Calendly or some similar service, well, that can trigger a zap that then makes a doc that's based on a certain template and it fills out the name and it fills out the date and it fills out their information and their website. And you don't have to do anything except show up to the call. All right. I'd like to go through some of the, uh, these uh, web services that you're using. I know you've tried out a lot. We've covered so far Slack and process kit, but there are some more on your list. Um, one of them is called loom L O O M. What are you using that for? So Loom is incredible. It's it's basically just a way to record videos um, like screen shares. You probably have seen some of these where it's someone's screen and then you see either an avatar or their camera in a circle, little circle in the left or bottom right corner. Um, that's probably a Loom video. And, and here's what I'm able to do. I, I have a global keyboard shortcut for Loom. So anywhere, anytime, no matter where I am, if I want to record, I hit a shortcut and instantly... I'm recording. 
Now, here's the cool thing about Loom behind the scenes. As I'm recording, it's streaming that video to Loom. It's not just recording a video locally that then when I'm done has to upload and process. It's streaming it to Loom such that the end result is when I hit the the stop record button, instantly this video is available to watch. A link to that clip is on my clipboard, so I can just hit Command V in Slack or wherever else to share a video with someone. And and what this effectively does is eliminates a lot of the real-time meetings that you're probably having. A lot of this can be done asynchronously. So you've got a question for someone and it would take too long to type up and explain it in Slack. You record a Loom video and you're showing your screen, you're, you're sharing your screen. This is what the question is. You've immediately got context and they can answer right away. So this saves us a lot of time. And if, especially if you have a remote team, different time zones, different you know people across the world, uh, you can solve a lot of things using async video like Loom instead of always hopping on a Zoom meeting. Yeah, I do that for all of my stuff with my team members, but I usually just use ScreenFlow. But I'm actually very curious about this. I'm going to be testing this out because for the quick and dirty video between team members, setting up ScreenFlow takes time. And then you've got to export the video and then you've got to get it to them. And it's like, this is uh, this cuts all the friction out for eight bucks a month. Ooh, can I give a like a ninja tip here? Sure. So one thing I like with Loom is there's another keyboard shortcut to pause the recording. So the yeah. things that you would probably edit in post, maybe in ScreenFlow to cut out, you can just kind of collect your thoughts, you know, hit resume, and you're kind of real-time editing on the fly. Nice. And, nice. and something I like to do in, in combination with this is I use CleanShot X for, uh, you know, screenshots and annotations and things like that. And there's, you know, there's native tools for that on Mac OS and there's other solutions. But one of my favorite features with CleanShot is the ability to pin a screenshot that you've taken of all or part of your screen anywhere on the screen and resize that. So there's no Chrome, there's no elements around it. It's just that graphic of whatever you've screenshotted and, and you can move that around and put it on your screen. So here's actually what I'll do when I'm recording a video using Loom. Let's say I'm sharing my screen. I want to show an example of something and maybe it's a it's a Google spreadsheet, but there's some sensitive info in that spreadsheet that I don't want to share in the Loom. Well, here's how I can get, get around showing that screen without any post-production. So what I do is I'm recording the Loom I hit the pause on the record, so the, the, the video is no longer recording. I switch to that sensitive uh, spreadsheet. I take a screenshot of the entire screen using CleanShot X. That pulls up the interface that allows me to, among other things, blur parts of the screen I don't want to show. And then I hit pin. And then I can set that to be my full screen, and I hit resume record in Loom. So it looks exactly like I've switched to that tab but the elements are blurred out that I don't want someone to see. And I've, I've done no post-production and I can just continue that way. That sounds pretty awesome. Being able to tie all those things together and uh, clean shot X keeps coming up on my shows. So it is now on my list to, to check out. Highly recommend. Another one that a lot of, uh, of nerds are excited about these days is Descript. And I, uh, I, I like this one too, but Sean, why don't you share with us what you're doing with Descript? Yeah, it's just an incredible tool. Uh, probably one of the most valuable tools in, in our, our uh, software stack is uh, if you're editing any kind of media, podcast videos, things like that, you're probably used to working with a timeline and you see waveforms and things like that. Uh, Descript makes it really easy to edit media by 
simply editing text. So you record into Descript or you, you have your own recording and you drag it into Descript. The first thing that happens is it transcribes that entire recording with, I would say, 95% accuracy, punctuation, capitalization included. And so what you're able to do is you're able to see immediately the, the transcript of what you said in this video or this podcast. And so you might see a sentence that says, hey, welcome to Mac Power. Actually, let me start over. I'm going to do another take. You literally see all of those words there. You can highlight all those words, backspace it, delete it. And what you've done is you've effectively deleted the media, that it's deleted the audio and the video, if that's included at that point in the recording. Uh, so you can edit media by editing text. And it's it's just incredibly powerful. I mean, it's like a few years ago, this was unimaginable, but it's changed the game so much for people that are working with this stuff. It's, it's really the future of media editing. So I, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Now, what context are you using it for your business, though? Well, in our business, uh, what we do is we're finding all of the best moments. So you record this hour-long show. We're going to yes. go find seven moments because there's seven days in a week and it's daily content machine. So we're going to find seven moments that are really good. We're scrubbing through this transcript to be able to quickly identify these moments. And then we pull out those clips. You know, we can just highlight the text of that moment and using a keyboard shortcut in Descript, turn that into its own composition and then edit it down further, remove filler words, remove tangents and gaps and things like that. And then you've got a nice polished clip, but I, I can see it being valuable for all, all kinds of things, especially if you think like a, a documentary or something where you need to pull all these different bits and pieces together. But even for even for podcasts, it, it's a great tool. Yeah, no, it's obvious now that I think about it. If, you, if daily content machine, Descript is invaluable to you. And then uh, so we'll share some more of the uh, the better web services you've stumbled upon as you've been building these businesses out. Yeah, so one is... Uh, Trainual. So in our case, you know, as we grow our client base, we also have to grow our our team to be able to fulfill our services. And those team members need to be trained on how we do our work. And a lot of people have processes inside a Google Doc, you know, and they share docs. And and that's fine. But if you're if you're creating a growing team, increasingly the problems you'll run into are uh, being able to manage and and have visibility into people learning how to do the work that you do and and verifying that, you know, or if you have an update to the process and you need all of your writers to see this update, well, if you share a Google Doc, you can't really know if they saw it and if they know to do things differently. Well, if you have something like Trainual, you're able to recertify people, right? So it might send out a notification like, hey, there's an update to this, complete it. And you can have a quiz or a test with it. Uh, so it's kind of like a learning management uh, system for businesses and, and processes and training. Um, help Scout is what we use for our help desk, uh, our help desk to um, provide support to customers as well as clients. And I love it. I mean, it, it has all kinds of integrations and of course, Zapier and things like that to where when we finish what we call a batch of content for our clients and the reviewer checks off their final task, what we used to have to do is have the production manager reach out to the client and send an email and you can use a template, but like now we just connect it to Zapier and it puts the client's name in there and it puts the Dropbox link and it puts the guest name and it just sends the email. So the moment they check off a task, uh, uh, sorry, they check off a task, uh, it sends an email. So Help Scout's great. Keyboard shortcuts galore, templates, saved replies. Um, it's just fantastic for triaging all kinds of uh, support stuff. Yeah, and you, 
you had told me once that, you know, Help Scout was really transformational just for your own personal time because, well, tell the story. Well, yeah. So, so I would get all kinds of uh, inquiries or responses to my personal email. And what you can do is you can forward those into Help Scout and it'll create a ticket. And you can have all kinds of rules and automations for assigning tickets to people and, and even automations for if they're out of office, it assigns it to someone else. But um, you can add notes and mention people on your team and assistance. And so let's say, let's say you don't have a big business. It's just you, but you get enough support requests that you're handling them on your own. There's a lot of the same ones, but there's a lot of different ones. Uh, you've got to get an assistant to handle these because 90% of them, someone else can handle. And instead of just responding and responding and responding in your inbox, you forward it into Help Scout, you respond, and then you create a saved reply or a template that can autofill the person's name and all of that. And then someone else can respond to similar replies on your behalf in the future. And so every time you respond to a reply, if it's, a, if it's one you've already done before, well, then someone on your team can handle it, an assistant or something. If it's a new one, you make a new template but then you're done. You're, you're never going to respond to that type of ticket again. Yeah. Very nice. And then, um, the other one that you have me interested in is grain. Tell us about that one. Okay. I'm, I'm excited about all of these things because I've brought you my best tools, but this is a game changer. Like I've talked about the, the future of editing, you know, with the script, this is the future of work and meetings. If you're not using grain, like if you use zoom and you're not using grain, Oh my goodness! Uh, you you have to. This is just the future of of work. So what what this does on the surface, it seems very simple. Is whenever you join a Zoom meeting, you can configure it to auto join. It has a little bot. It joins your meeting. You can have it join internal meetings. You can have it join internal and external meetings, or whatever. It'll just connect with your calendar and join the calls automatically. What it does is it records the call, and it transcribes it in real time. So right now I've got this grain bot in our, in our call here and it's recording everything we're saying. So, you know, either Steven or David can click the link in the, the chat that, that will show them in real time. The words I'm saying right now are, are getting transcribed and they're appearing in this browser w- window. Now here's the really cool thing that grain can do, you know, beyond just real time transcribing, which is great for notes and recordings for posterity, which Actually, a little tip here, if you pay for Zoom cloud storage, which I was like 40 bucks a month for I don't know how many gigs, um, I pay like the same amount for unlimited green recordings. And all of it has recordings of my video calls, audio calls, it transcribes it and all these features that I'm about to tell you for less than I was paying just for Zoom cloud storage, which is ridiculous. Um, But here's the killer feature. It's transcribing and recording the call in real time. You can highlight that text like the words I just said 10 seconds ago, I could go in and highlight what I just said. I can click a button to create a clip of that moment. So this will be a video clip. If you're on video, if you're sharing screen, whatever, it's a video clip. It's got captions in it. And you can share this immediately with anyone in Slack. It'll, it'll autoplay. You know, it's got the, like the player in Slack with anyone. You can share a clip of that moment. And it also has Zapier integration. So like, it also has keyboard shortcuts. Here's what you could conceivably do. Let's say you're on a customer call and they start sharing a bug um, or they start sharing, you know, just how, how much of a fan they are of your software. Well, you can clip that moment. You can just hit a keyboard shortcut and say like, this is a clip of a, a bug 
or this is a clip of story of the user, right? And you can have that, you know, connected to Zapier to where you've got a filter that looks for an emoji. Maybe you've got an emoji of a bug, you know, that was your bug clip or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is a clip of a bug. So here's what happens. Person says a thing and you're like, that's a bug. Keyboard shortcut for the bug emoji. It makes a clip that goes to Zapier. Zapier, if you have a filter step for the bug emoji, can then post that clip in Slack in the bugs channel, you know, for your devs. And so while you're on a call, you can actively be clipping moments, customer testimonials, bug reports, things that you want to remember, something that someone who's not on this meeting because they had to go to an appointment needs to know, it's clipped. And so I never repeat myself now. I may be in a one-on-one with a team member and I share something with them, you know, 80% of it's personal, but this little bit that I shared, I actually want other people on the team to know. I clip that out. I share it with them. I don't have to repeat myself. I literally cannot imagine being in an in-person office where, where everything I'm saying isn't recorded and transcribed and I have to repeat myself. So that's what I mean about just future of work. No, I think it's a great service and I've been experimenting with it and I'm just as sold. And thank you for turning me on to this. I think anybody who's working with a team in Zoom is going to find it useful. I also think like you were mentioning customers, but internally, like as you're coming up with new procedures and policies internally, it's just as useful. I mean, why not be able to just clip that out? Yeah, I just did that Uh, today. You know, I was showing someone how to make an email in our email service provider and we clipped that out as a training for anyone else in the future. All right, Sean, you're going to cost me some money. I can already see. Uh, hopefully <laughs> save you some time, though. Yeah, totally, totally worth it. Yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by ZocDoc. When you're looking for a doctor, you need to find one now, not in a few days or a few weeks and definitely not in a few months. So if you need to see an MD ASAP, you need ZocDoc. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or via video chat so you never have to wait on hold or with a receptionist again. So whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, an eye doctor, or some other specialty, ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU or download the ZocDoc app to sign in for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I have definitely been on the search for a new doctor before, and it's really stressful. You're trying to find somebody who works with your insurance, who has good reviews, and ZocDoc can take care of so much of this so easily. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy, and now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU or download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C, ZocDoc.com slash MPU. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, Sean, I'd like to, what I lovingly call as the hippie segment of Mac Power Users, I know that you are a nerd like all of us. You've certainly proven that. Um, but you are also very passionate about this idea of sabbaticals. And we have talked about it on the Focus podcast, but I'd like to share it with the Mac Power Users audience as well. Tell us how you got on this train with sabbaticals and, and what it's doing for you. 
Yeah. So we're saving all this time with our automations and our shortcuts and our macros. What do you do with all that saved time? Well, you work more, right? <laughs> That's no, what I did. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For like, for, for a decade, I was just crazy workaholic work, work, work. Um, and you know, I love my work. That was kind of the problem. You know, I thought, oh, people only get burned out if, if they hate what they do, but it's possible to burn out even when you love your work. And I just don't know how to be anything less than all in on something. I don't know. It's kind of obsessive. You know, I go down the rabbit holes, so I, I don't know how to slow down or, or take it easy. It's just on or off. Right. And so I, I needed some kind of solution for, okay, if this is my, my tendency, how do I go all in on a break? You know, if I'm not going to like slow down, how, how can I box this in? And that brought me to this concept of sabbaticals, which are traditionally academic, uh, where you take off a seventh year and maybe research, you know, like a professor might write a book or something like that. Um, but a year for me at the time was too long. I needed a, a shorter term solution. So as a play on numbers, I thought, well, there's seven days in a week. There's this seventh year concept. What if I just take off every seventh week? So I work six weeks and I take off a seventh week. And I was sharing this on my podcast back in 2014. And I said, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to be guinea pig, share the process and see how it goes. So I took off a week and I took a trip, kind of felt like a vacation, no big deal. Went back to work, but then six weeks went by like that. And suddenly it was time to take another sabbatical week. And I thought, I can't, there's too much work to do, you know, which of yeah. course is always the case. And and I thought, well, I don't really want to take this time off. But meanwhile, I'd kind of put myself on the hook because I told people I was doing this and I would document it. So they're like, you know, tuning in. What, what happens when Sean takes his next sabbatical week off? So as sad as it sounds, I kind of had to grit my teeth and, and take the time off. But I've found for myself and then for my employees, that third sabbatical, uh, that seventh week thing is where it clicked. Like that was the point where, where I was craving it. Like my body was ready. It felt right. And ever since then, it's been such a game changer for me. Um, I, I just, I, I haven't looked back. I've done it for the past, you know, seven plus years. And my first thought was, okay, how do I make sure my team is working while I'm on my sabbatical? And I thought, wait, 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 like either I believe in the concept or not. And if I believe in it, then I should give it to my employees as well. So I've also paid my employees to take off every seventh week, which has just been awesome. It's the, it's the heartbeat of the company. And it's, it's just so good for really two things. One side of the coin is burnout prevention. Having been burned out and just not wanting to get out of bed for two years, I think some people maybe can relate. Uh, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. And the thing is, once you've burned out, recovery is not to scare people. It's a years long process. It takes time. And I really just don't want anyone to experience it. And and you have to prevent it from happening. Uh, so sabbaticals are great burnout prevention. But on the other side of the coin, they're just what help you unlock your best ideas. I truly believe the best ideas you have, the ideas for which you'll be known, your legacy are currently locked up and inaccessible to you. And you're not going to get at those ideas. You're not going to unlock them until you take a step back, give yourself space and time. And so I want to help you prevent burnout, but I also want to help you unlock your best ideas. So that's kind of the idea behind sabbaticals. And, and my mission is by 2047, I, I want to get every company in the world paying their employees to take sabbaticals, you know, take off every seventh week, like go, just go do whatever you want. You know, we've got this, we've got processes in place. Someone else will take over your responsibilities. Like overall, we're just more productive, happier, healthier, 
um, yeah, that's that's my mission. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I love the idea that you have this. You're so passionate about this, and like in my offline communications with you, I mean, you're doing amazing with these businesses you've made, and clearly you've you've put together your automation systems, but more important than all of this for you is spreading the word about these sabbaticals and getting people to like to become believers. And I love that you're putting so much effort into this. I first just kind of want to say that in general, but I also think you're really onto something. I think that in my own personal experience, I miss really good ideas because I'm too busy and it's only when I can stop and breathe that suddenly stuff starts pouring out of me. Thanks for giving me the space to talk about it. Cause yeah, I mean, like I've got this agency, but I tell all of my team, I'm like, this agency is really just to cash flow my mission. Like I know initially I'm gonna have to put put my own effort into like getting this idea out there and helping people implement and and like, you know, the the technical aspects of how do you do this in an organization where where people have to do customer support or or manage servers and stuff. And so it's like there can be different sabbatical tracks where some people are on at the same time and off. And so I want to help people with the logistical side as well, but I appreciate you giving me the space. Well, there are some listeners that right now are saying, yeah, but right. And they've got, <laughs> they've got their, like I, I was, I did this to you myself. Like, cause I'm like, yeah, but I have clients and I have a publishing business and I have a law practice and how am I supposed to line those things up so I can do this? And you had answers for me. So let's, Let's go through a few of the the yeah buts that our their listeners are having right now. You just answered one. If you're in a workplace where you have to have somebody at the tiller, you know, twenty four seven. Yeah. Uh, so, what are the ways around that? Yeah. So multiple sabbatical tracks. So in our case, you know, we're doing this seventh week sabbatical. So there's seven tracks. You know, at any given week, and then it repeats. And so different people are on different tracks. And what it does is, it, I think, a really healthy thing, which is it, it makes no one replaceable because whether you have sabbaticals implemented in your business or not, uh, anyone can get hit by a bus, so to speak, right? And and what happens if the one person who knows how to do the thing isn't available? That's that's just not a good place to be. So it forces you to document your processes. It forces you to make sure someone's always able to take over uh, a given responsibility, and that's just a that's just a healthier business. Uh, so you got the multiple sabbatical tracks. Um, what's a, what's another, uh, what's another, like, I can't, I don't think I could do this. Here, okay. I'm the key man. The clients need to talk to me. I always have to be available for the clients. Yeah. So this one, very, very common. Um, the, in short, what you'll find is the vast majority of people respond super positively when you tell them like, Hey, I'm going to be unavailable. Uh, be, because they, they actually want this for themselves. They're like, I really wish more people did this. And, and they actually want it for you. And it's it's all about expectations. So it's like, hey, um, it, it's just like if you book meetings, and maybe you have a Calendly or something, and it lets people book meetings Monday to Friday. And, and on Friday, someone says, hey, can we can we talk? And you give them a meeting you know, link, and they go to book, and they can't book on Saturday or Sunday. They can book the next Monday. It's kind of the same thing. I know it sounds really extreme. I know it sounds huge, like a whole week off, like that's so much. No one's going to be willing to wait an extra week to book a meeting. But I'm just telling you, I've seen it again and again. You'll just be surprised at how much of a non-issue it is. Here's another one. I have an emergency-based business. Clients need me suddenly and exclusively. So I never know when I'm going to have a quiet week or a busy week. So there's no way I can plan to take a week off. 
Well, the, so there's the, the practical angle is, you know, looking at the um, multiple tracks where, you know, someone who knows how to do the thing is available at all times and you just make sure, you know, it's layered accordingly. But I would actually shift you more towards the mindset uh, way of solving this, which is, you know what, I know this is a big question, but maybe if you can give yourself a weekend sabbatical to think about it, uh, take a step back and ask yourself, is this the business you want to run? Is this the life you want to live? Is this what you want your day-to-day to look like? And I know that's a really big question, but sometimes that can unlock just a, a, such a better quality of life. Um, so, yeah. Here's when people think that probably wouldn't verbalize. It's like, my work is my identity. That's how, that's how I recognize myself in the mirror. Uh, if I take a week off every six weeks or seven weeks, uh, I'm going to have a real problem figuring out who the heck I am. Oof, that hits too close to home for me as someone who has been going to therapy for the first time in his life as of this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I'll just say this. The only thing worse than that, uh, that being facing the fact that your worth and identity is tied up in your work and not wanting to have to pull yourself away from that because who are you? is waking up after 10 or 20 years and realizing you've just gone through the motions and never really lived your life because your identity was tied up in the wrong thing. And I I would highly encourage you. I really say anyone who runs a business should be in therapy, but honestly, everyone should be in therapy because (laughs) like there's, there's the things, you know, and like, maybe, you know, you've got some issues from childhood. Right. But like I went into my first therapy session and, and she asked me like, you know, you have any traumas and, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. You know, and I, I would have thought like I, I had a great upbringing, you know, and I did, you know, but like, turns out there was trauma and I didn't know. And so it's, it's not the things that, you know, it's the things you don't know, you don't know. Um, and why are you doing things the way you're doing? Why are you running the business that you're running? You know, why do you have the routine that you have? Why do you live where, like, these are existential questions, uh, that are hard to ask. Um, but the only thing worse is not asking them. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's experienced this, I can tell you that it's not fun to look back on portions of your life. I have from the age of about 25, when I got married and got my first job at a firm and for about, I don't know, 10 to 15 years after that is just a blur for me. I mean, I, I was raising my kids and my family and it was good. You know, they were good years, but I was not being intentional about my life. And I am sad in my older age as I look back and say, boy, I just lost a decade there without without even realizing it. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm, I cannot believe I'm going to wade into the hippie waters here. But um, All right, Stephen, welcome. It's nice and warm. Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> I'm concerned that it's warm. That, that worries me. I don't know what y'all been doing in this... This pool of water. No, it's uh no, it's a really good point. And you know, as as people who are self-employed or even have side gigs, you know, a lot of people, Sean, that you work with, like it is really easy for work to take over. And I've talked to so many of my friends over the last, you know, now almost two years who have worked from home, uh, at least partially, you know, during COVID. And even just working at home, not having that separation of where I work and where I live. And that, that can be really messy and hard for people. And it can be something that sneaks up on you too. I know that's definitely how it's been for me over the years. And 
yeah, I think those are just encouraging words for people to to hear that you you can you can set work aside, you can take a break, you can walk away from it, and things aren't going to burn down. You know, as much as it may feel like it, if you have done your diligence before you go, then that means you really can go. Yeah, the joke about all of this on everyone, and this has been my experience as I've experimented with this stuff. I haven't gone as far down the stack as Sean has, but as I experiment with this, I discover that when I force myself into a sabbatical or sabbatical life break, when I come back, my work is better, faster, more fun. It actually, if you're afraid to do this because you're afraid it's going to impact your work, the the answer is, yeah, you're right. It is going to impact your work. It's going to actually make it better. And you just have to figure out how to make this work, you know, how to, how to fit it in so you can do it. Um, Sean, if people are interested, uh, give us some, some of your materials they can go to, to, to learn more. Yeah. So I, I shared some of my thoughts on this at sabbatical.blog and I actually wrote the first draft of a book. Um, I think sabbaticalbook.co will will kind of redirect you to that. It's not it's not available, but I did I did live stream my writing of it. Um, so hopefully I'll I'll have that edited and, and ready at some point, kind of like a handbook for how to take sabbaticals. But there's a number of articles there uh, with some some resources. Yeah, if memory serves, you were going to finish the book because because in addition to the once every six weeks, you also thought, well, it's been seven years. I'll take a year off, and that's kind of what led to you know 2020 and all the problems. But I think you told me at one point that was the year you were going to finish the book, but but the world had other plans for you. Yeah, yeah, I I, I will I will get to it at some point, but for now, sabbatical.blog has some resources. Well, gang, I would recommend looking into this. And if you are, if you're in the yeah, but camp, even like, uh, take a Friday off and a weekend to do a personal yes. sabbatical. So it, it, if you go to sabbatical.blog slash weekend, this is, if you know, you're like, I can't take off every seventh week. My boss wouldn't let me, you know, if you're working a job, uh, you can at least take off. What I recommend is just take the last weekend of the month. And set that aside. You don't have to go on a trip, but just don't book anything for that time. Create some space for yourself to where you go in and you can choose whatever you want to do in the moment. And that'll at least give you, you know, some of the benefits and you can get your feet wet. All right. Well, we are going to exit the hippie waters. We're going to dry off. I got a towel for you, Stephen. So Thank you're you. good. Thank and you. And then we're going to come back after this with some more nerdy stuff. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Quip. Better oral care made simple. And you can get your first order refill for free. Just go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash M-P-U. All right, let's talk about something important, and that is your choppers. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip toothbrushes make it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to care for your mouth. The Quip electronic toothbrush is loved by over 7 million people, and it's easy to see why. I got one and I'm in love. It's got timed sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide you your dentist recommended two minute clean. One of the things I like about it is it does a great job cleaning my teeth, but it's not super loud. My old electric toothbrush sounded like I was starting up a lawnmower when I started it and Quip is just not like that. And it's all lightweight with sleek design and great for both adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. And the multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter. Now, if you're already on top of your brushing, you can upgrade your Quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app. 
And get this, earn rewards while brushing. That's right. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do a full brush today. But then I think, oh, I need the points. So I do it. I totally fall for these games. Uh, You get free refills, products, even Target gift cards and more. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine like mint or watermelon anti-cavity toothpaste and floss that expands to clean or if you're trying to be kinder to the planet, reusable floss pick that replaces over 180 disposable picks with every refill. Quip also offers refillable sugar-free gum that delivers a long-lasting mint flavor and refillable mouthwash. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers that fresh floss toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hassle of going to in-store shopping. And their stylish and affordable electronic toothbrushes start at just $25. If you go to getquip.com MPU, you'll get your first free refill for free. That's your first refill at getquip.com MPU, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P, dot com slash mpu i really like mine i am sold i have subscribed i'm all in so check out quip the good habits company and our thanks to quip for their support of the mac power users and all of relay fm so we like to close these uh these guest shows with a list of favorite apps or services or devices that maybe we didn't get to to touch on uh earlier in the episode i know we've done uh, quite a few of them, but one that's on your list that I want to talk about first is Alfred. Yeah, so Alfred is uh, it's pretty great for for workflows, and there's lots of overlap with different things like Text Expander or Keyboard Maestro. You can do similar things, but one of the things I really like is, um, and, and I just like to use Alfred for this, is custom searches. So you can you can search. Google Drive or, or Gmail or, or you know, your own website or Amazon or whatever really easily just by calling up Alfred and you can, you can pass whatever query or parameter into the URL that you want. So those custom searches are great. I use Alfred Clipboard History, which I know Keyboard Maestro has, um, but I, I really like uh, Alfred's Clipboard History Manager. And, you know, it includes uh, not just text you've copied, but also images you've copied. Um, and I've got a I've got a video on this. Actually, we didn't even uh, we didn't even mention kind of my my side project, which is SaveTime.blog, and that's just my side project with quick tips for doing things faster on Apple devices. And I made a couple little videos and articles there. One of them is on Al- Alfred clipboard history and what's the difference between text snippets and a clipboard manager. So you might have snippets. But why would you want to use a clipboard manager? And I've got a bunch of uh, bunch of ideas. Probably even if you you already use a clipboard uh, manager that you, you may not be using or you may not have thought of um, there. And you know, I'll just give you one. For instance, um, using Keyboard Maestro, I've got a, a global keyboard shortcut for making a new Zoom meeting. So sometimes you know you schedule out meetings, but sometimes you just want to hop on a call and give someone a link. So. What it does is it just activates Zoom and there, there's a shortcut for making a new meeting. So it just does both of those steps and uh, you're good to go. So it starts the meeting. And when you start uh, a new Zoom meeting, this is, I think, a setting in Zoom that you can turn on or off. Uh, it will or it has the ability to copy the, or, or put the link to the meeting on your clipboard. Yeah. So then you can just share that with someone. Um, but here's the, th- the cool thing. If you want to if you're on a meeting and, you know, you've started this meeting, you're with the person you want to talk to, and you've copied other things since then, 
Um, and now you want to bring someone else on the meeting. What do you do? Well, you probably go hunting around for that invite link. Well, the cool thing is it was already copied to your clipboard when the meeting started. So all you have to do is pull up your clipboard history using Alfred and you start to type Zoom like Z-O and the first Zoom link that's there is the link to the meeting you're on. So you can go in Slack, you just pull up clipboard history, start typing Zoom and hit enter and now they're in your meeting. So a bunch of cool stuff you can do there. This is uh, this is well-timed because we are getting ready to do a clipboard manager shootout episode and uh, spoiler, Alfred is going to be a big section of that show. <laughs> yeah, nice. And then you also use Alfred to launch apps, but you do that with your keyboard. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of ways to do this. Uh, I just ended up setting up a workflow. Um, I like to use my function keys as function keys, and I just do command F1, command F2, etc., to launch my top 12 favorite apps. Um, you can do that a lot of different ways. I happen to do it in Alfred. Um, I also happen to use Alfred workflows for title case converter. Um, I know there's other ways to do that as well, but one, one that I think maybe you may not have a solution for, no matter which tools you use, is emojis. Now, you know on Mac, hopefully, control command space will bring up the emoji picker anywhere that you have a text input. Um, yeah. But it still can be kind of annoying to scroll through or search and, and find the emoji you want. So there's an Alfred workflow called Emoji Taco, uh, which I linked to on that, that video page, um, which is really cool. Once you set it up, you pull up Alfred. So you got your box there. I just type E space and the E is for emoji. And yeah. then I can type whatever I want. Dragon, rocket, book, note, light bulb. And I just hit enter and it inserts that emoji. So I find that super fast and super handy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And just the idea of custom searches, you went over that pretty quickly, but with Alfred, you can not only search custom, like set up a custom web search for your website or for Google docs, but you can also even do that with individual directories on your Mac. Like I have one, if I type CL space, it just searches folders in my client folders file. So I don't see individual documents, but it's a very quick way to jump into a client folder using the finder. And um, yeah, Alfred is just like the gift that keeps giving for people that want to spend a little time figuring it out. Uh, Sean, I also note that you're a Pathfinder user and that's the uh, the finder alternative. Tell us how you got into that. I do. I do like Pathfinder. I've I've used it over the years. Um, it's it's just kind of Finder on steroids. I mean, you can have different sidebars and and terminal windows. And one of the cool things I like is the little drop stack where you, you just have this little. And I know there's apps for this as well, but uh, you can drag a file onto the drop stack. It's kind of a holding spot while you navigate around your folders and get where you need to go. And then there's that file sitting there. You can just drag it onto the folder that you're in. Um, I just like the the customizability of the the view options and the different sizes of things and and highlights. And do you want to show the the navigation bar or not? Um, I mean, I, I don't think anyone, you know, needs this exactly, but uh, I, I at least I don't feel like I absolutely must have it. But I, there's just so many little things that when I accidentally open up Finder, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I wish it had that little feature. Yeah, I agree. And that's also a part of setup, which means that if you've got a setup subscription, you're already in. Uh, we haven't talked about iOS much, but there's one iOS app that I know you're particularly a fan of. Tell us about Copilot. Ah, uh, Copilot. This will, th this is just so great. Uh, it's a joy to use. You've got to download this. It's just one of the most 
enjoyable apps to use. It's got all the like haptic feedback, you know, just subtle little things. The design is so polished. This is a finance app where it pulls in all of your accounts, all of your investments, all, you know, bank accounts, credit cards, just, you know, everything in aggregate and gives you one dashboard and, you know, widgets and stuff. So you can see your, um, your, your, your balances, your, your budget, things like that. I actually didn't have a, I didn't think I had a need for this. I wasn't even looking for everything that, that it can do that I now feel like I can't live without. I was actually just simply looking for something that can manage my recurring subscriptions. I just want, uh, I just wanted to see like, what are all of my subscriptions? Everything I pay for every single month from, you know, Netflix to my web server to whatever. Can I just see all of that and not have to remember, especially if I need to change a credit card number or whatever, like, can I just see all of that? And can I see, oh, this is going to come through on the 15th. This is going to come through on the first of the month. And there's different apps out there I've tried that kind of do this okay, like a, a, a half decent job of subscription or recurring, um, you know, charge management. Uh, but that actually is what led me to Copilot because Copilot does it phenomenally well in addition to all of these other things like auto categorization and like different rules and, and, and things where it can recognize, um, transactions by the name, but you can customize the name. And it's like, it's, it's just so incredible and visual. And I, I I don't know how else to explain it other than to say, once you've used this, it is such a joy to use. And it gives you such visibility into your finances all in one place. Um, yeah, you've just got to try it out. Copilot. Yeah, we get a lot of questions from listeners about financial management apps. And sadly, there haven't been a lot of good answers to that question. I'm going to definitely check this out. It gives you like monthly reviews and, you know, oh, oh, this this is also like power user stuff because this is fairly recent that they added this. But most apps will just let you say this is a recurring subscription, you know, every month expect this transaction to come in between the first and third of the month and between 30 and $50. But now you can do, you can, you can have it expect a transaction every week or every other week. Like when you start going to therapy, like I'm telling you to go to, and you've got those every other week charges, you can teach it to expect those on an every other week basis instead of, you know, multiplying by two and kind of hacking it together on a monthly basis. It's just very powerful. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing all of this, Sean, and, and coming on the show today. I, uh, I'll tell the listeners, we didn't hit everything in the outline. There was more to cover today. And uh, uh, I think, Sean, you're speaking of recurring, I think you're going to become one of our recurring guests. We want to get you back at some point to hear what's new and, and what new tricks you have found on your Mac and Apple hardware. Well, I'd love to. This is like a, a safe space for me where people actually want to hear about all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, gang, if you're listening and you've got, uh, if you've tried some of these online services, you have questions, uh, uh, sound off in the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'll have a, a thread just for this episode. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people that are, are interested in a lot of these tools. Um, Sean, where do people find you? Yeah, so you can find me at Sean Wes. So it's S-E-A-N-W-E-S on places like Twitter or Instagram or just SeanWest.com. That's kind of the main hub. And then uh, the the service that we provide, you know, the, the social media clips, that's dailycontentmachine.co. Sabbaticals is sabbatical.blog. And then my Apple tips is savetime.blog. Some great links, everybody. We'll have those in the show notes as well. 
Uh, we want to thank our sponsors for this week, and that's our friends over at One Password, Sanebox, ZocDoc, and Quip. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, anything exciting going on over at 512 Pixels these days, Stephen? Uh, I've been working on my MacBook Pro review. Hopefully it should be up by the time uh, this episode goes live on Sunday. Excellent. I can't wait to read it, and uh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>